We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses this week we will be talking about hashtag mls is back the return of major league soccer and the official announcement of the tournament down in Orlando that's going to come up here in the next month. La Liga's back. Bundesliga has been back. Serie A is back, or at least Italian soccer is back. Timo time. We'll talk about Timo time, Timo Werner time. We're talking about U.S. hipster teams uh, and what are the most hipster-esque, I guess, if you will, out there, and so much more. But first, joining me as always is my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Sunday morning, June 14th in the year of 2020? I'm doing well. Some of my favorite restaurants have started seating people again. So I've enjoyed a couple of meals out for the first time in three months. A couple of the malls near me uh, have opened up again. So life slowly returning back to normal. Slowly, as you say, I too uh, have ventured out, and uh, I think it's safe to say that I was cautious and overly cautious over this quarantine period. But last night, so that would have been Saturday night, uh, I ventured out with my better half, and we went to a restaurant. Uh, We went to an Italian restaurant in El Segundo, California, uh, actually by the name of, um, I should give it a plug here, Jame Enoteca. And it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. Not just the food, which is always wonderful, even in normal times, but just getting out and being there. I will say it was a little weird. We met up with another couple and there's the the awkward moment as to what you do and what you don't do. We were seated outside. There was certainly distancing and there was plenty of protocol when it came to the handling of dishes and face masks and all of that kind of stuff. It ended ended up being enjoyable for a number of reasons, not the least of which it's really, really good Italian food and wine and good company. But just getting out there, Mossy, and actually being out in public in some semblance of uh, of return to normalcy in terms of going to uh, going to a restaurant, it was it warmed my heart. It was not completely normal, but it was the best that we can get at this time. And more and more, like you said, is uh, is opening up, and we just hope that it continues with a a good trend and a safe trend as things open up and those opportunities arise. Did you enjoy your restaurant experience? What were your uh, your restaurant experiences? I went to this Persian place called Shamshuri. 
in Westwood, and I went to an Italian place called Rosti in Santa Monica, both delicious. Uh, yeah, uh, very enjoyable. Were you seated inside or outside? Shamshuri was inside. Rosti was outside. Yeah, I, have, I, have, I haven't been, since this was my first one, this was outside seating, which makes it a little bit easier, and, and I'm assuming safer, if you will. Uh, but I have yet to go, go to an inside one. Um, that's, that's the next baby step that, <laughs> that, uh, that I am taking. But like you said, everything continues to open up. Not everything, but a lot of things continue to open up. When it comes to soccer, things continue to open up. We're going to be talking about that uh, later on in the pod. And uh, we hope that we're ha- headed in the right direction. Have you watched anything over the last week that, uh, that's notable? Well, I finished binging Fauda, which was mm. absolutely sensational. And uh, right before we started taping, Alex Dowd let me know that his parents are also hooked on Fauda. So uh, that's good to hear because it really is a terrific, terrific show. I watched uh, a number of different things, but what stood out to me was, I, I guess I rewatched Field of Dreams. I had not seen it in years and years and years. I mean, it always has lived large in uh, in my in my memory from what it was, but I just hadn't seen it in years. It holds up, you know. Kevin Costner is a, an acquired taste, but the but it certainly holds up both from a sports perspective of, of and and also because it transcends it. Because I don't care about baseball, to be quite honest with you, I, it's not something that I that, that I have a diet for or or care for. But this transcended it, and even somebody who didn't know a whole lot or care a lot about baseball could. Could revel in it, and so that was that was fun. And you know, at a time when <laughs> when there's a lot of negativity and problems and challenges out there, it was a nice little couple hour escape. Uh, and it's almost a it's almost a fairy tale. It's obviously a, a love letter to not just the game, but to America and to that to that spirit. And I, I didn't realize that it was so um, uh, you know that it, it wasn't science fiction, but it was. It was much more mysterious than I than I thought it was, uh, or I remember it. I remember it being, but you know, I've I've gone back and tried to watch things from the past throughout this last uh, three months. So that was my my latest one. Mossy, anything before we uh, tackle today's uh, topics? Uh, no. Why don't we transition to the soccer news this past week involving American soccer, which was the more details on the MLS is back tournament. Oh, yes. <laughs> Including the draw. So we now know uh, what the groups are for this. Uh, do you want to go right, through so it? You, you, yeah. Do you have the draw then? Do you, I do. Can well, you, can you so give, it's give 26 the teams divided into six groups. There are three Western Conference groups with four teams apiece, and then three Eastern Conference groups, two of them with four teams, and then one of them with six teams. Nashville switched over to the Eastern Conference. So this tournament will uh, get underway uh, in early July, and only the group games will count towards the 2020 MLS regular season. The top two teams in each group, and then the four best third-place finishers will advance. That will leave you with 16 teams that will compete in a knockout round. There is prize money for the winner of this tournament and also a CCL berth at stake. So several questions I want to throw at you. First off, do you think that prize money and that CCL berth is enough of an enticement that the knockout stage games will have some juice? Or it's going to be a little bit weird when the games no longer count towards the 2020 MLS season? It it will be a little weird, but I do think that the prize money and the CONCACAF Champions League berth will drive those teams in, you know, after the group stage. Like you said, the group stage counts for your standings. You know, when I look at the groups uh, in in MLS's inevitable 
<laughs> way of doing things. You know, the first thing that stands out is that there's a group of six, okay? The rhyme or reason behind this, I haven't quite gotten to, but there's one group of six, and then all the rest of the groups are, are four. And, and as you mentioned, Nashville and uh, Miami, both the expansion teams from this year are both, both in that group A. So whenever, whenever, whenever we do something like this, we always got to find out what the group of death is. I think a lot of people will point to group F with LAFC, LA Galaxy, Houston, and Portland as being the group of death. And I can certainly get on, that, uh, get on board when it, comes, uh, when it comes to that. You know, I will say, though, that the oh, – man, let's see here. The, you know, that group of six is just, it's just very interesting. The, the reason Atlanta, they did it is to have even-numbered groups. Uh, well, yeah, they, yeah, of course, the um, reason they did it. But you're still only the top two come out of your group and then the best – third place team and you're not playing everybody in your group in group a you're still only playing three three games so look it, all of this we've said all along it's not about being fair it's just trying to get the best possible situation so well, so, so that's what it is of that let me let me ask you a larger question yeah uh, the name of this tournament is mls is back they're really trying to sell you on the idea that this is the return of mls in the same sense that like the bundesliga is back or la liga came back this weekend do you feel that way or MLS will only truly be back when we're playing week-to-week teams in their own stadiums. And this is sort of a different side thing they've come up with to buy time until MLS truly comes back. Does this really feel to you like MLS coming back? It does feel to me like MLS is back because it's, it's being put in the context of all of these leagues coming back. But it's not going to look like the MLS that we – I mean, nothing, nothing looks like what we had before. But this is going to be even more so because of the unique environment that both MLS and NWSL are an, an approach that they have taken. So, yeah, it does feel – no, I, I still I'm, – I'm okay with MLS is back. And I think I told you last week I was pleasantly surprised by my reaction about how excited I was because I, I fully expected not to be as excited. Now, the, na- the name of the tournament is, is a little uninspiring, let's be, <laughs> let's be honest. And, I, you know, we had talked last week about the fact that the commissioner – either because they just couldn't do it or they wanted to help out the existing uh, sponsors and partners. They didn't sell a naming rights type of the thing, but it, it, it certainly lacks the pizzazz of a tournament uh, that you could have named, uh, you could have named anything. And, uh, and they, you know, they didn't. So, but in general, yeah, I do think that this is, this is okay. This is, this is okay to call it MLS is bad. Now, the you, fact don't, you don't that, like it though. For example, I must say, once the games start, I'm sure I'll enjoy watching them and I'll be a lot more positive. Just looking at it on paper, the whole thing feels a bit goofy and convoluted and contrived to me. But um, like I said, well, I'm Of course sure... it's contrived, Mossy. Well, I mean... well on, that, on that topic, uh, the fact that LAFC and the LA Galaxy ended up in the same group, Toronto FC and Montreal, uh, we start the tournament with Orlando City taking on Inter-Miami. That's led to suggestions that the draw was perhaps rigged. A, do you think the draw might have been rigged? And if so, does that bother you at all? Because that actually doesn't bother me that much if they engineered it to get some, you know, uh, high-profile matchups in the group stage. Okay, I don't think that it was rigged or engineered, and that's actually a knock on MLS. If you didn't rig it or engineer it, then something is wrong with you. You need to do everything in your power to make this thing have the potential to be a success. And anything that you are doing that you are leaving up to chance, that is a problem. So, yeah, I mean, look, I'm happy that we're kicking off on the, uh, well, I don't know if it's the first day or anything, but certainly the first 
first group game would be LAFC versus the LA Galaxy. And that's, there's your Trafico right there, albeit 3,000 miles away in Orlando, but it's still, you know, that, that entices me. That, that, that gets me excited. And to have, you know, both Columbus and Cincinnati, that hell is real type of situation that we have going on over there in Ohio, that's, that's fun. And how does it play out, uh, play out on the field? But, you know, I, I, look, it's, it's easy to poke holes in these types of things. And, you know, the amount of work. Although I will say, Mossy, so we, we were recording this on Sunday, June 14th. Almost a week ago, the teams started to open up and therefore the market started to open up, enabling teams to start training as teams, okay? So if you look at it, by the time they start playing, it's going to be over a month. Ju- Ju- uh, July 8th group stage begins. It's going to be four and a half weeks. It seems like a long time, Mossy. And I know, once again, I've, I, I may be grumpy, grumpy manning this, but it just seems like, why do they need all of this time? And maybe it's a logistical thing from MLS's perspective. They need that time to get everything sorted out down, uh, down in Orlando. But it just, it, it's... I mean, you get a couple weeks and then just start playing, uh, playing games. Now, and maybe it's a, a timing issue with other leagues that are either coming or going. And when you come up against uh, other competition out there, I, I don't know. But I worry that in the intervening month, basically, it's out of sight, out of mind. And that initial bump that you got of announcing it is going to go away and people's uh, curiosity will wane and people's attention will move and maneuver to other things as we go on, especially as other leagues and other sports start to come back online or finish out the, finish out their season. I, I, you know, I don't know. In, in general, though, I'm look, I, I'm excited. It's 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 MLS. What else, Mossy, about this uh, tournament piqued your interest or or confused you? Well, I did notice Merritt Paulson has already been. Uh... Very chatty on Twitter, pointing out that he feels like Seattle got a much easier group than Portland. So that was fun, a little trash talking going into this whole thing. Well, the only people that whine more than Seattle are Portland. So it should come as no surprise that uh, the leader of uh, Portland out there, and I love you, Merritt, if you're listening, uh, (laughs) complaining about uh, getting the short end of the stick out there. Um, You're going to be just fine. And, you know, Masa, we've talked about how the you know the Bundesliga has shown things that normally don't happen, and we're having maybe anomalies, uh, but certainly with the you know with away games, for example, in the Bundesliga and the low percentage relative to a normal time. You know, it, it, there may be teams in this tournament that, in a normal situation, are X, but in this situation, turn out to be Y. For example. Sporting KC is notorious for their uh, sporting fit mentality and philosophy. The problem with that is that oftentimes it peters out towards the end and they can't sustain it into the playoffs. Maybe this is the type of tournament that's tailor-made for Peter Vermes and co. in terms of being sporting fit. And maybe they really, really excel. Who knows? Maybe a team that, let's be honest, sucks, shows up down there. And, you know, right now Nashville, which, which isn't, which isn't good, okay? Or Cincinnati, which isn't good. Who knows? Maybe they show up down there and they catch lightning in a bottle and they end up winning a title, which, which then begs the question, are we considering this title, and I guess we're calling it the MLS is back trophy or whatever the hell we're calling it here, are we considering that in terms of 
a double or a triple. There's not going to be U.S. Cup, so you can, won't be able to do that. I'm champ, CONCACAF Champions League. I don't know if that's going to happen. But if a team were to win this team down, uh, this, this tournament down in Orlando, and then win Supporters' Shield, and then win MLS Cup, would we consider that the treble? <laughs> you know, where does this, where does this, uh, does this fit in? All of those questions are to be asked and maybe to be answered as we, uh, as we go forward. But I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be excited to see what these teams look like in the heat. We know that there's early morning games and late night games, but it's still Orlando in the summer and Florida in the summer, and it's going to, it's going to be hot. And I think it's, I think it's, as I said many times, it's fair to judge these players and these teams by what they do down there, even though the circumstances have changed, because everybody is going to have to adjust to this new normal for this month that they are going to be down there. I mean, I don't know. I don't think there's a whole lot more to say. There will be more information. The league will come out with specific dates of who's playing who and when. Much more broadcast information will be uh, will be out there. I know you know people are asking from a ESPN and a Fox perspective, uh, and, you know, and all the national partners out there. That is TBD. Uh, if and when that's out there, we will make sure that uh, everybody has that information, and we will discuss it because then you will actually have dates on which you can tune in uh, either on ESPN or Fox or, any, or anybody else out there uh, that's going to be involved and watch these games. And that, that will be fun. And that will, make it, that will make it much more real. I just hope that this, this excitement doesn't peter out over the month because that's a, that's, a, that's a long time. But maybe I'm an old guy and you know, maybe these young bucks just need much more time in order to get up to fighting form, if you will. All right, well, that's, uh, that's our opening segment. Uh, when we come back... Oh my goodness, we are going to talk about all sorts of stuff that is going on out there in terms of leagues that have either come back or in the process of coming back uh, over this next week. And that's EPL, that's Serie A slash Italian soccer, Coppa Italia, Bundesliga, La Liga, all of those different ones that are coming online and what they look like on the field and what they look like off the field. That is coming up after the break. Moving on. Hello, people. Alexi Lawless here with a quick word from our friends at Sleep Number. A healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? Eat your veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, do your yoga to bring your heart rate down. Okay, well, maybe it's not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side your sleep number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now during the lowest prices of the season sale, save $400 on a Queen Sleep Number 360 C4 smart bed. Now only $1,299. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com slash cadence. Now back to the show. Welcome back. All right, we're going to blaze through all of the different leagues that are coming online. And we're going to start off with La Liga, which came online this week. So we saw the return of Real Madrid and Barcelona and what is arguably the greatest player ever to play the game. Messi, who <laughs> evidently doesn't miss a beat, right, Masi? Uh, unfortunately, it was against our good friend and colleague, Stu Holden's Mallorca. Uh, Messi and company came out, and basically from, what, the third minute where they scored, uh, 
it was it was all Barcelona, and the 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 result was never in doubt. But it was fun to have La Liga back, and certainly it was fun to see Messi not just playing but assisting and uh, and and scoring and doing what he has done now. It seems like for the last two decades. Yeah, not sure about that haircut though. That looked like an Enzo. No way, my Gino did that. Uh, that's a very obscure <laughs> reference. Uh, you, so but, you're not having the the bob, if you will, no. or, or the fop, or whatever it, whatever that is uh, that he has. One funny note on this game: there's a rule in Spain that if you have a player injured for five months or more, uh, you can sign a replacement outside the transfer window, uh, so long as he plays in Spain and he's not allowed to compete in Europe. So you only have him for domestic competitions. And when Usman Dembele went down and was ruled out for six months. Barcelona took advantage of this loophole and they signed this Danish striker, Martin Brethwaite from Leganes. Uh, they paid his buyout clause. I think it was 18 million euros. And this sort of shined a light on what a flawed rule this is because Leganes are then not allowed to sign a replacement. So they lose a player outside of the transfer window and they're not allowed to go out and replace him. Uh, only Barcelona were able to do it because they had a player ruled out through injury for five months or more. And I remember when we had that MLS seminar, this was happening right around that time. And I remember talking to Stu Holden about it. And Stu was very fired up, even though it actually benefits Mallorca that Leganes lost one of their best players. But Stu Holden just out of principle thought this is ridiculous. I feel sorry for Leganes. It's so unfair. And so I did think about that yesterday as Martin Brethwaite was starting against Mallorca <laughs> and scoring uh, a goal. So I'm sure Stu Holden was not happy about that. And I will say, when this all went down, people objected to it out of principle. But ultimately, nobody thought it would be a big deal in the, in the title race because... I mean, this guy is, is a journeyman player, Leganes, Middlesbrough before that. I mean, what kind of impact is he going to have at Barcelona? He actually is a pretty good player, truth be told, and is not a bad player for them to have on the bench. He started this game because Suarez is available, but not yet fit enough to start. Presumably, Suarez will slide into the starting lineup soon. It'll be Messi, Suarez, and Griezmann. But still, this guy is a useful player to have on the bench. Who knows? He might score another goal or two along the way and help them win a La Liga title, which would be kind of funny given the circumstances in which they acquired him. And I will say to Stu Holden's Mallorca, while it should come to no one's surprise, including Mallorca, that they lost to Barcelona, uh, kudos and hats off and applause because the um, first off, you know, they use the crowd enhanced noises, uh, so the enhanced audio. They have the virtual fans in the stands, uh, which kind of look like colored paint splots but but you know still they're, they're still they're trying and it is colorful and it's better than empty stands but kudos to them for being incredibly authentic by managing to find a way to have a pitch invader <laughs> <laughs> now that that is something that even though you lost the game i mean you won the creative war out there so if for, the, for the, those that don't know despite all the protocols and all the security and that it was being played in an empty stadium, somebody still managed to get in and, and run to get their selfie with, uh, with the legend that is Messi. What did you think of the virtual fans? My dad loved it. Uh, some people thought it was a bit much. Um, I, I love it. I, the more that you can do to try to get us back to the aesthetic that we know and love, I will always fall on that side. I, I love to keep doing it. You know, we've mentioned, we'll talk about Bundesliga in a second, but uh, they, they've done some really, really good things. All right, uh, quickly, Mossy, with, uh, with the La Liga roundup, obviously Real Madrid well, Real back in- Real Madrid uh, won today. They beat uh, A-Bar 3-1. They're in second place, two points behind Barcelona. Sevilla are in third place. They actually won the, the first game back on Thursday. They beat their uh, rivals, Betis, in the Derby 2-0. 
Uh, very happy for Lopetegui that he's rebuilding his reputation this season because I do think he's a very good coach. I blame Florentino Perez much more than I do Lopetegui for that whole mess with Spain and Real Madrid in the summer of 2018. But so La Liga off and running again. And it's Real Madrid and Barcelona to the end. I mean, that's yep. what we're going to be following, right? I mean, let's, uh, let's be honest. Okay, cool. Moving on. Bundesliga. First, let's, let's hit on the German Cup last week because uh, Leverkusen brushed aside uh, Eric Winalda's former club, Sauerbrocken, and then Bayern beat Frankfurt uh, 2-1 in the semifinals. And so the final is set. It'll be July 4th at the Olympic Stadium in Berlin, Leverkusen against Bayern, which is a tasty final. And then this weekend, Bayern moved a step closer to winning their eighth straight Bundesliga crown. They beat Gladbach 2-1, Leon Goretzka with a late winner. The only reason they didn't clinch the title this weekend is because Dortmund won as well. They beat Dusseldorf, leaving it very late. Erlen Holland comes off the bench and gets a stoppage time winner. That's now 27 goals in 26 league games for him this wow. season between Salzburg and Dortmund. Unbelievable what this kid is doing. It's, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, look, he was already on the accelerated path, Mossy, but does he have a buyout clause, by the way? He's got to have a buyout clause, right? A, an established one. Any any agent worth their salt would have done that, I would I would think. I just don't know. Do you know? Uh, I don't. I will try. Okay. Well, whatever. I mean, but I, I, I would venture to say that that he does. But, you know, I know the whole point is to kind of bring him along and to have him. <laughs> but, I mean, it's getting ridiculous at this point, right? I mean, he, he he's, somebody asked me uh, earlier, is he as good as Mbappe? No, he's not as good as, as good as, uh, as Mbappe yet. And he's a very different type of player, let's be honest. But jeez, my goodness. I mean, his, his valuation on the open market without a, without a buyout clause. I mean, and so at what point do you just say, look, uh, he's not just skipping one grade. He's skipping multiple grades. And he becomes that, that savant that goes to college at the age of 10 and let the chips fall where they may. You know, a few weeks ago, we did a segment where we identified the 20 or so most prominent soccer nations, and we each picked our favorite players from those countries. Remember that? Mm -hmm. My dad was listening that week, and he came up with his own list. And when we were going through his list, we, we sort of noticed that none of his favorite players are these goal-scoring target strikers. It's more these creative playmakers or explosive wingers, or if it is a center forward, it's in the Brazilian Ronaldo mold, a guy with dazzling skills that can create goals on his own, rather than that big burly guy who's just a finisher. And we sort of concluded, and I'm the same way, that we're more naturally drawn to th those kinds of players than we would be an Erlen Holland type, even if there is a part of our brain that intuitively understands that goals win games and the guys that score the most goals are the most valuable. But I don't know, when, when I see people tweet about Holland, I sense some genuine excitement there. I admire what he's doing. I mean, and I understand that a player that age scoring goals at that clip, what a commodity that is. And yes, if I was a super club, I would pay a gazillion dollars for him. But does he excite you as a player? Do you get excited to watch Erlen Holland or, or, or not really? He doesn't excite me in the way that it, like an Mbappe does. He doesn't yet excite me in a way like Lewandowski does. Uh, and, th and that's a much in terms of the way that they play, look, I think Mbappe is much more dynamic. Although, look, you've seen Holland's, uh, you know, when they, when, they, uh, when they show him running from one side of the field to the other, it's not like he's lumbering, okay? He's, he's a bigger guy, and therefore we kind of pigeonhole him in that, in that position. And that's, you know, where he's going, where he's going to be. But, I mean, the guy's, got, the guy's got speed and strength and power in the way that, uh, that he goes. But... No, he doesn't excite me. And maybe, honestly, 
his persona, it's not exciting. It's not, <laughs> it's, it, you know, it, it's not, uh, it's not that he's not charismatic or anything, but he rarely says anything. He's still young. He's, he's still young. He's still growing as a, as an actual human, uh, human being physically and, and emotionally and, and mentally as he goes through these experiences. But no, he does not excite me in the way that that, that others excite me. And so, according yet. to Alex Dowd, Holland's buyout clause is 75 million euros. Jeez. Uh, I, I will say, I, I'm going to end up dying on this Jaden Sancho Hill. Even Jovan Karofsky was texting me this past week telling me I need to cool it on Jaden Sancho. But uh, he still excites me more. I view him as a more transcendent talent than Holland. And I know a lot of people are trying to frame it as if Holland versus Mbappe is setting up to be the defining rivalry of this next generation, sort of the next Messi versus Ronaldo. I, I still think, look, we can argue whether Jaden Sancho is that good or not, but I still think that kind of player, whatever the best version is of Jaden Sancho, would be a more compelling foil for Mbappe over the next 10, 15 years or so than a Holland. I would rather it emerge as Mbappe versus Sancho as being the next great rivalry than Holland. Okay, but if I gave you $100 million and you didn't have anybody on your team yet, and you could only buy Jaden Sancho or Aaron Holland, who would you buy? Let's just say it was for, let's say they both cost $100 million. $100 million euros, $100 million, $100 million, whatever. A lot of money. Yeah, I probably, Jaden Sancho gives off just a little bit of a whiff of Neymar to me. And he's had some- Is that good? Does Neymar smell good to you? Yeah, so it's, <laughs> right? it's, he, he's, he's not like the safest investment. I think Erlen Holland, there's no way he's going to lead whatever league he plays in in scoring many times over the next 10 years, probably going to score 40, 50 goals a season. So I think he is the safer choice and, and goals win games. And so if I had to absolutely pick one of the two, I'd probably go for Holland. But I do think Sancho's ceiling is higher. Like I said, the, the best possible version of Jaden Sancho to me is, I mean. So you're going to, uh, and I hope I'm using this phrase correctly, you're going to stand for Jaden Sancho, right? Yes, yes. Okay, cool. God, I hope I used that correctly. My kids are going to kill me if I didn't. But All right, anything else, Bundesliga? Let's move on to uh, Serie A. Although Serie A, as, as a league hasn't started, Serie A teams have started playing in the Coppa Italia, right? Correct. We had the okay. two uh, Coppa Italia semifinals. And I will say one general point first, when you get used to the artificial noise, then not having it was very weird. <laughs> Thank you. It was maddening. It was, oh my God. I mean, how are you going to, you know, how are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Paris uh, or, or enhanced audio? How are you going to keep them back on the farm? I mean, it's, it, it just is so bland and so stark and so jarring and, and to a certain extent, so Italian, let's be honest. And that Juventus-AC Milan game was a bit of a tough watch because uh, Milan gets that red card early, Rebic, and so they're down to 10 men, and they were the team that needed to score to advance. So they were just defending the whole game, and it was, it was admirable the way – and by the way, what a crazy sequence. Ronaldo misses the penalty, the ball pops out, and Rebic with that awful challenge, and he gets a red card. Yep. But um, – you know, they defended admirably, and I think they really frustrated and stifled Juventus and guys like Ronaldo and Dybala. But as the clock is ticking, you're thinking, okay, but they're the ones that need to score here, so who cares? And they couldn't create anything, and so ended up being nil-nil, and Juventus advanced on away goals because the first leg had been 1-1 at the San Siro. And Juventus will face Napoli, who the following day, it was a 1-1 draw at home, so they advanced 2-1 on aggregate. They had won the first leg 1-0. Uh, Inter actually took the lead through Christian Eriksen, kind of a crazy goal off a corner. But then Napoli equalizer Dries Mertens, uh, a goal which, by the way, makes him Napoli's all-time leading scorer. He surpasses Marek Hamsik, who had himself surpassed Diego Maradona. So it's, uh, so it's going to be Juventus and Napoli. 
on the final Wednesday, June 17th at the Olympico in Rome. I built this up as if Ronaldo was in this great shape and was going to go absolutely berserk in these games. I actually thought he was quite disappointing in that match against AC Milan, but would not surprise me at all if he... Uh, has a big game against Napoli in the final. Huh? But these teams do, I think, have an advantage having played a game because there was raw rust that you could visibly see coming off. I mean, passes that were going errantly. And I know it's it's heightened because we're kind of so focused on looking at it and somebody makes a bad pass and we're going to blame it on the fact that they've been off. But it did look like they were disjointed oftentimes and, you know, rolling their eyes and and uh zigging as opposed to zagging in different in, in different times so these teams that have actually gotten out there and now understand what it's what it is to play albeit in Coppa Italia I think they do have an advantage going over so if you're going to bet on on Ronaldo bet on in, in, in the uh, Serie A game that's coming up. one last Serie A note before we move on uh there's this crazy situation with Balotelli at Brescia they're not even allowing him in the training facility. Then Mina Raiola, his agent, came out and said that they haven't tested him for coronavirus the same way they did all the other players. The club is saying that's not true. They're threatening to sue Raiola and Balotelli for slander. Uh, I think it's safe to say Balotelli has played his last game for Brescia. And you know where I'm going with this. Uh, this is obviously leading to talk about MLS. It seems pretty divided. There's a faction of people that would love to see Balotelli in MLS. But there are others like... Uh, our good friend Eric Winalda, who, who came out strongly against it. And why do we need to bring this guy here? He's not a good example for young American players. And, and it's such a circus. And uh, where do you come down on that? Mario Balotelli to MLS. Well, you know, I love Eric, but who, who is, are, are there kids out there that are thinking they're going to learn anything from Balotelli? I mean, you can just change the date on the press releases and, you know, oh, it's, he's, he's, he's run out of time or it's, uh, you know, he's moving on to someplace else. I, I have no problem. If it's it, it, from a financial perspective, I don't want you breaking the bank. Okay. Is it going to end, end well? Probably not because there's a track record of it not ending well. But I also, in the same, by the same token, I, I don't look at him coming in to be a leader in the locker room or somebody that I would ever have any of the other players follow. I look at him coming in and either you're going to score goals or you're not going to score goals and you're an incredible personality. And so you're going to bring some attention, uh, attention. And so I, I'd have no problem with Balotelli in, uh, in major league soccer, as long as the price was right. And the expectation was, you know, here's a guy that has scored goals in the past. That is a name. Okay. And we can get, you know, a, a year out of, or, or, or two years out of, but I'm not, I'm not propping him up as anything other than what he is and what he has been. And that is someone that cares about himself. That's not here to help the league, but you know, there's a reason why people pay money and the most important, like you mentioned earlier, the most important position in our sport is the ones that put the ball in the back of the net. And then uh, finally we'll end with the Premier League, which uh, comes back this upcoming week, uh, Wednesday, June 17th, the first two games, Aston Villa, Sheffield United, and then uh, Manchester City, Arsenal. Not much drama at the top. Uh, Liverpool are obviously going to win the title. Uh, a lot of talk about you know, how, what the reaction should be to that. Uh, I know you had, you had some comments about that this week regarding Liverpool's impending title. I mean, it's just everybody should expect that they are going to be crown champions. That's, that's not a surprise, but that, that caveat and that asterisk will always apply and everybody's going to talk about it. And like I said before, people are going to use that to invalidate uh, or, or to make it less valid the, the, the title. And it's not 
but that's that's what that is what is going is going to happen. And I'm much more interested because it's a fait accompli as to who's going to win the title, as to how people react uh, on on the ground, and if it is what so what type of celebration it is. We know it's going to be muted just out of the reality of where we are right now. But what that celebration does look like, how this it ultimately is looked at in terms of of history and historic uh, historical title wins. And, you know, again, what, what the EPL looks like. This is the most popular league in the world, okay? This is a league that has eyes and hearts and minds and fans all over globally. And so they're coming back, and they're coming back. And, you know, we, we've mentioned the uh, enhanced audio and the virtual fans and all that kind of stuff. Well, what, what does their production look like? What is the EPL production? Before we came on air, I was looking at um, a really well-produced, it's almost like a 30-minute documentary from Man City that goes back to the start of quarantine until now and all of the different things that they've gone through and takes you through as a player and as a team and, and as a staff, how they've gotten to this point. It's, it's long, it's, it shouldn't have been 30 minutes, but regardless, it gives you a really good idea of all the different protocols. And that's, you know, that's interesting. So all of this is going to be on display. This is your introduction back to the world of soccer EPL. And this is kind of like the NFL coming back online. You expect more. Um, You expect something big, you expect something different. And you expect them to not just live up to what everybody else has done, but to surpass it. And um, I'm excited to see what that looks like. And like I said, from a Liverpool perspective, is it devalued? And by how many people? And for how long? And to what extent? A big point of interest for me, relegation uh, battle is interesting. You have teams like West Ham and Villa down there uh, who have spent a lot of money. It'd be a disaster if they went down. But big point of interest for me is the top four race. And I would like to know what the deal is with Manchester City sooner than later. They, they presented their case the Court of Arbitration for Sports said they're going to rule on it sometime in July. And I'd like to know going into the stretch run of games, whether it's top four or top five. Let's say it is top four, just for argument's sake. Liverpool and City are locks. Uh, Leicester, I wouldn't say is a lock, but they're in very good shape. And then Chelsea right now, Alex Dowd's Chelsea are fourth. They're three points above Manchester United, who were coming on like gangbusters before play was stopped. Then you have the likes of Wolves and Sheffield United that are looking to crash the party as well. And then you still have the two North London clubs lurking, Tottenham and Arsenal, and I would cut it off there. Arsenal were starting to turn a little bit of a corner under Arteta before play was stopped. They had won their last three Premier League games. And Tottenham, remember when we last left Jose Mourinho, it was this constant whining about injuries and not having any strikers available. Well, Harry Kane and Hungman Son are both back and fit, so no, no excuses anymore. He has pretty much a full squad at his disposal. And so we'll see if either Tottenham or Arsenal can make a run at it, if it ends up being top four or top five. But I think most of the intrigue surrounding the the Premier League, because as we mentioned, Liverpool, it is a foregone conclusion at the top. For me, at least, it's going to surround that top four race. I think that's going to be very interesting. So who do you think ultimately is there at the end, Masi? What do you got? I tell you, I'm buying this United resurgence. They've now got Pogba and Rashford back who were uh, injured before. If Solskjaer can figure out a way for Bruno Fernandes and Pogba to play together in the midfield, that is all of a sudden a very nice looking lineup they have. And I I think they finish in the top four. Uh, And Mm -hmm. then, you know, Chelsea Mm -hmm. would drop to fifth and then Chelsea's fate 
would depend on whether it would the city appeal. I just get a sense with Chelsea, and you know, I was going to save this point for the for the Ask Alexi segment because we have a Chelsea question down there. But I just get a sense that there's a lot of focus on next season already with these signings and Timo Werner, and I, I worry they might be taking their eye off the ball here. They still have to make sure they get that Champions League spot this season. Otherwise, some of the air would come out of the balloon. There's a lot of buzz about Chelsea next season being able to compete with Liverpool or City for the title. Yeah. But you still got to make sure you finish this season the correct way. I, I agree with you in that I get the feeling that while both Chelsea and Manchester United are works in progress, the work in progress is further along from a Manchester United perspective than, than Chelsea. And uh, let's see, they're three points back. So Manchester United is three points back from Chelsea. By the way, not for nothing, but the whole Leicester anomaly, an aberration, a once-in-a-lifetime thing, got to give them credit, right? I mean, for maintaining. Obviously, I haven't won the league again in the terms of a title, but it's not as if they shot up and then just went back into obscurity. I mean, that that in and of itself is a story and worth praise. Uh, it, it, it's getting some, but I don't think it gets. I don't think it gets enough, especially in a league like the EPL. Yeah, Brendan Rodgers doing a great job. Give him credit. I'm wondering, we're talking Chelsea here. Is Alex Dowd ever going to chime in on one of these podcasts? Or I mean, have he, we? He's so stuff? worried about jinxing anything when it comes uh, <laughs> when it comes to Chelsea, especially now when we're talking about Manchester United pipping him at the end there, which would be which would be devastating to to Alex and to Chelsea for uh, for that matter. All right. Well, anyway, so that uh, when does that come back online? When uh, do we know we have dates exactly so for Wednesday, June 17th? The Premier League will be back. Wow, I can't wait. I mean, it is that, that summer of soccer, all the different games that are going to, uh, to go on. It's just absolutely incredible. Uh, okay, so that, uh, that's the end of our roundup for all the stuff that either is coming online or has come online. Uh, we'll continue to talk about it. And we'll continue to follow it as it goes along. We're going to take another break. And when we come back, we will have, oh, yes, you know what? You love it or you don't, but you're going to get it either way. The Ask Alexi portion of our show. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. Okay, it's that time. Uh, Ask Alexi. You use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on the uh, social media platforms and you send us your comments and questions and concerns. And we pick a few of them each week as we are about to do and Mossy reads them out. What do the people want to know this week, Mossy? Well, the first one requires a little bit of context. Mm, On last week's pod, one of the Ask Alexi questions was, could an MLS team survive in the Premier League, i.e. avoid relegation? And you said not only could an MLS team survive, but they could thrive. And our good friends at uh, foxsoccer.com decided that was uh, <laughs> worthy of a Twitter clip this week. And predictably, the reaction was very negative. You took a lambasting. Uh, everybody called you an idiot for saying that. And so Alex Dowd has decided that you deserve a chance to, in his words, clap back at your critics. So that is why the first... Ask Alexi this week is actually somebody reacting to you saying that an MLS team could thrive in the Premier League. CH Carlino responded to that by saying, how can one say this with a straight face given the state of the U.S. men's national team? All right. So as you mentioned, Mossy, that this, uh, this, this hit, and look, it, it came as no surprise to me, nor should it come as a surprise to anybody, the reaction. And I'm talking about you know, whatever. As of today, I think we're at like 250,000 views of just the actual clip of uh, me talking. And it should be said, by the way, that you agreed with what I said. All right. Uh, that was not, not part. I'm going to address that. Uh, <laughs> do you want me to address that now or do you want me to wait? Do you want to get it out of the way right now? Yes. 
if, if okay, anybody go. that wants to go back and listen, I rejected the whole framing of the question because I said that if you uh, drop the, an MLS team in the Premier League, they would be a completely a fish out of water and would have all these different variables they'd have to adapt to. And so I said a more interesting way to look at it is what if you put LAFC on a neutral field against the likes of Norwich or Bournemouth, what would that look like? Because then you're stripping away all those variables and you're just making it about the quality of the two teams. And after I said that, I switched off, started thinking about the next question. And it was pointed out to me by multiple people in my life that you then tagged that conversation by saying, okay, so Mossy and I both agree that an MLS team wouldn't be relegated, which was you putting words in my mouth. Uh, for the record, I, I do think an MLS team would get relegated. Mossy, as you know, we live in a time where nobody cares about the details. Nobody cares about data. Nobody cares about the truth. Let's be honest. They just care about headlines. Then the way I see it is that you agree with me. And that's what we are going with. Now, look, as I said, it, it came to no, to, it was no surprise to me that this was the reaction. You know, the, the reaction of just absolute anger and just irritation that anybody would have the audacity to suggest that this could happen uh, was just tweet after tweet uh, after tweet. And, you know, I, I get it. It's, it is a subjective thing, so you can't prove it uh, one way or the other. It's an evergreen type of subject. The, you know, I talk about the insecurity that we as American soccer fans, and in particular MLS fans, about, have about their league. But the insecurity that others have relative to MLS and the mere mention uh, or insinuation that MLS could in any possible way be compared to the, not just any league, but the EPL. That for people is a bridge too far. And that for people gets their, gets their ire going. Look, I'm under no illusion as to what MLS is and what MLS isn't. I'm also not delusional as to uh, the reality and the restrictions and the restraints, uh, and therefore the obstacles that MLS has relative to other uh, relative to other leagues. But I also believe that MLS is looked upon and actually looked down upon, oftentimes incorrectly, simply for geographic reasons, uh, where it is, and the you know I, I, I so many people said EPL players are stronger. EPL players are fitter. EPL players are faster. No. Okay. Now you may, you may believe that EPL teams and EPL players are better technically. Okay, fine. And maybe more are. Okay. But that doesn't mean that any individual player or any individual team can't, uh, can't, can't compete. So this isn't about me clapping back because there's nothing to clap back to. I have my opinion. You have your opinion. Okay, I was interested how, and this goes, does get back to our insecurity, a segment of uh, responses and, and, a, and a big segment were fearful that by me saying this, it makes American soccer and therefore American soccer people look bad. And, and I get it because I am without a doubt, uh, it's you know, beyond argument, the voice of a generation, actually the voice of multiple generations uh, and the voice of soccer. And so what I say is amplified everywhere. I get it. I get it. So that concern I can understand. 
But I also have a much greater respect than evidently some do when it comes to the American soccer fan in terms of their ability to discern and to intake and for the way that we are viewed either by ourselves or by others. So if I, by saying something like that, am hurting American soccer, okay, then there's a, there's a big problem with American soccer. And I, in, I, I reject that wholeheartedly, okay? I have my opinions, as you know. Sometimes people agree with them, sometimes people don't, okay? Uh, you know, people uh, of great st stature out there in the soccer world, even in this case, agreed and disagreed. Uh, when it comes down to it. But look, th this, is, this is what I love about sports. And this is certainly what I love about soccer. And we don't have enough of this when it comes to American soccer. It's, it's, talking, uh, it's talking about things and it's debating these types of things. And, you know, yes, I do wear my MLS heart on my sleeve oftentimes. And I do feel that MLS deserves to be defended because I think that there is a lack of relevancy and credibility and credit given to MLS, oftentimes relative to the reality that MLS is. And that perception sometimes doesn't match the reality. And believe me, I see it each and every day. I, a good player is a good player. A good team is a good team. So anyway, that's, that's, that's my response to Carlino. In terms of how one can say this with a straight face, I said it. My face was straight, and let the chips fall where they uh, well, where they may. Uh, you know, he he mentioned with the U.S. national team where the U.S. men's national team is. I I think you're conflating some things. Okay, what what the U.S. men's national team is, or what the U.S. men's national team isn't, to be quite honest, doesn't even necessarily have to do with how I feel an MLS team would do in the EPL for example. So I think those are two different, those are two different discussions. But look, it, it's a good question. It's a relevant question given the, uh, the response uh, that we had. But I haven't changed my tune in terms of still believing that a team could do that. We're never going to see it either in my version or in Mossy's version, which is that <laughs> that that neutral type of thing, unless there is a club type of World Cup situation, it, which involves an MLS team, which I get can't happen until MLS actually wins the CONCACAF Champions League. So good question, Carlino. All right, next, Mossy. Uh, next up, at John Brunel, does Werner to Chelsea threaten Pulisic's playing time? So we, we talked about the potential of Timo Werner going to, uh, going to Chelsea. And first off, Mossy, I'll ask you this. What position does Timo Werner play in your mind? Although he's a very mobile player and can play uh, cutting in from wide positions. I actually prefer him as a, as a center forward. Uh, okay. So, well, if, if that's I, the case, then no, it doesn't threaten. Well, it the thing doesn't I would threaten. say is when Chelsea signed Hakim Ziyech a few months back, I talked on the spot about how I was getting the sense that Chelsea were going to be big spenders. Uh, remember, they were under a transfer ban last summer and Lampard was going to want to make up for lost time. And I could see them signing more attacking players and there'd be some possible Pulisic implications there. And we talked about it. And it got sort of misconstrued on Twitter that week as us saying that uh, Hakim Ziyech was going to take Pulisic's position. And as many people pointed out, the two of them could play comfortably in the same lineup. The same thing applies here. Werner, it's not a like for like with Pulisic. There's certainly a world where they could both be in the starting 11. But it's just getting to be a lot of guys. They're, Chelsea are also being linked with Kai Havertz. Uh, who knows if they get him? 
But, uh, you know, it, it does concern me a little bit in, in a larger sense that Pulisic is going to be competing with a lot of guys that are either English, in the case of Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, Hudson Adoy, or guys that Lampard brought in, Ziek, Werner, or whoever else they sign, while Pulisic is neither English nor was he a Lampard signing. Listen, if, if Pulisic outperforms them, then he's going to play, uh, as he did for a stretch this season where he was one of the best players in England. And Lampard had no choice but to start him. But I just think if it's close, all things being equal, Lampard's natural inclination might be to go with an English player or a signing that he brought in. So that would be my one concern vis-a-vis Pulisic. I agree with that. But when it comes to Timo Werner, I also agree with where you see him playing. However, it's in this day and age where so many teams are, are not playing with two guys up front or playing with, with three or I guess one in terms of being the, the, the tip of the spear there. If that one person isn't, from a physical perspective, dominating, then it, it, it changes a little. And then you get into the false nine type of situation that you have or a David Villa type of situation. So, yes, I do see Thibaut Werner playing where you said in that top of that spear. But doing that, that'll change fundamentally the way that Chelsea goes about their business. So that is a that is a fundamental change because for the most part, they have had a much more traditional type of player playing up top. And maybe that's maybe that's been the plan all along. And maybe this is what really facilitates it. And look, if Pulisic is on or off the field, but if he's on the field with a Timo Werner up top, that's ah, that's that now you're cooking. Is there more competition? Yeah, that's not necessarily a bad thing. As always, I think Christian Pulisic can handle that type of competition and can come out and prove that he can start and be better than even some incredible talent that they have coming in as long as he stays healthy. That's it. He's got to stay healthy because as soon as he gets hurt, there are others that are going to be licking their chops that are very, very good and they can come in. And I think no matter what, and this should be music to your ears, Alex, your team is going to be even better next year. And if you miss out and you are not playing, you could get left behind. Yeah, I think what you're basically saying is Chelsea need to sign either Yusuf Poulsen or Patrick Sheik and try to recreate the way Leipzig play, you know, with, with essentially two there up top. There you go. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, and we'll end on this. At Hipster Footy Pod. Alexi, you're a bit of a hero to us here at the Hipster Football Podcast, but who do you think is the most hipster U.S. soccer team? Doesn't have to be MLS, by the way. Oh, interesting question there, Hipster Footy Pod. Uh, we know that when it comes to being hip, American soccer uh, over the years has, I guess, risen to the forefront because of the supporters' culture, because of the, the aesthetic of it, because of the, let's be honest, the coolness. And yes, it was underground, but it started to become much less niche uh, and has come above ground because of the fact that you get to start your team oftentimes. And so therefore, that, that really lends itself to creating some... <laughs> Some very interesting and unique type of, uh, like I said, aesthetics and cultures out there. All right. So to answer your question, so from an MLS perspective, I mean, let's be honest. It's, it's not even a question. It's Portland. Okay. That is the, the epicenter of hipsterism, I guess, in, in normal life too, with all due respect to Seattle. And so the, the Portland Timbers and being a Portland Timbers supporter and what that means above and beyond the actual kicking of the ball and as a matter of fact often much more so than the actual kicking of the ball that would without a doubt be your mls 
uh, hipster type of uh, of pick. I don't think there's even a question out there. I, I even think Portland people would agree with that, although they wouldn't want you to be there because God forbid it gets mainstream and you know stay weird and all that kind of stuff, uh, which is good for them. Which is good for them. Then you get into where it really gets hipsterish. Okay, in all of these different lower leagues that we have, teams coming and going, teams coming into their market, especially when it comes to the marketing with some really creative and interesting and often funny and different types of of brands. And so then you're talking about, I guess, someone like Forward Madison with the pink flamingo and, you know, the uh, full mango and all that kind of stuff. I think that would be a, a hipster type of pick if for nothing else to be able to sport a pink flamingo walking around, I think that would be one in the 11 maybe could be, but I think from a, from a lower level um, and a lower division type of perspective, I think your hipster pick without a doubt is Detroit city FC and not because I'm from there, but the way that they look at themselves the way that they look at others, the ownership that they have taken of not just the team, but the brand, and like I said, the aesthetic and, and what they mean, the, the way that they, the stance that they have taken relative to a potential MLS team coming into market, I mean, it drips hipsterism, if you will. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's, that's actually, at times, can be a good thing. But if you are looking for a hipster type of pick in a, a lower division um, and one that gives you the things that every type of hipster needs, the way that you look, the way that you talk, the way that you see yourself, the way that you see others, a up for a battle, I'm not talking about violence, but up for a battle to defend your honor and to defend the fact that you don't walk in the same way and down the same path. And that you are different in the way that you think about yourself and your sport and your club, Detroit City FC is for you. So there you go. Those are those are some hipster picks out there when it comes to the American soccer uh, culture and landscape. Mossy, anything uh, more in terms of Ask Alexi? That is it. Anything before we head on to uh, one for the road here, Mossy? Anything you'd like to say? Uh, no. Take us home. All right, I will take you home. And uh, as you know, each and every pod, we finish up with one for the road. I know this has been a longer type of pod and um, you know, we're giving you bang for the buck. Uh, and so you know, hopefully uh, on whatever bike or car or walk or run or any type of thing that you're doing, uh, you, uh, you stay with us for the whole thing. My one for the road is that we are recording this, as I said, on Sunday. June 14th. Yesterday was Saturday, June 13th, obviously. And two years ago, on June 13th, was a very special day and an important day in American soccer. That was the day that the United States, Canada, and Mexico were awarded by FIFA the 2026 World Cup. I retweeted a video from that day because yours truly, and Masi, where were you on that day? We were in Moscow, right? Yeah, were you with us on set there day that, that day? Uh, or where? No, I believe okay. I was in the IBC Center. I think yeah, you were in the IBC Center, and uh, myself and Rob Stone at the time, Fernando Fiore, we were on set actually. We didn't have a game, but we had this announcement coming, and we were on set to react to it on on Fox. And I tweeted the actual real time reaction, and I didn't think it was going to hit me in the way that it did, and. 
I'll be honest with you. I, I started blubbering like a, a baby, I burst out into tears. Fernando's crying over here. Rob Stone's screaming, screaming and yelling for, for what it meant and what it is going to be. And certainly at a time where we, we are, you know, from a soccer perspective and a U.S. soccer perspective, we are, you know, constantly kicking ourselves and talking about things that, that we haven't done well uh, or things that we need to fix. This, this shining light that is 2026 remains. And it will be something the likes of which we have never seen. Even in 1994, 94 is going to pale in comparison. 99 is going to pale in comparison. It will be the most successful World Cup in history. And it will be the stage from which we use to, to kick on. Obviously, 94, we used to establish MLS. From an individual perspective, I've told you many times, I live the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual. And there's another player out there that's going to have that same type of effect. And there is more when it comes to soccer that we are going, uh, going to use. And we celebrate two years. And we also recognize that while we're celebrating, it doesn't mean we rest on our laurels because we got a long way to go. But this is a wonderful, wonderful ramp. This is a this is a good story, and this is going to be a good story. And at a time where we need some things to be positive about and things to look forward to, this is certainly one. It's a long ramp, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to come sooner than, uh, than you think. And I can't wait. It was, a, it was a great day. The sense of pride that I felt for my sport, and yes, for my country, and all those countries, our neighbors to the north, our neighbors to the south, about this unique opportunity that was upon us, you can see it from the actual video, but I can tell you right now that it was a special moment and we need special moments. And there will be many more to come, believe me, on and off the soccer field as part of the beautiful soccer that we have in the United States and in Canada and Mexico and other beautiful moments that are going to be out there. So savor them, remember them, use them, as we are going to do with, uh, with 2026. And it's a wonderful thing for our country and our sport to look forward to as we go on and deal with a whole lot of stuff on and off the field that needs fixing, a whole lot of stuff that is going to uh, challenge us, but also a whole lot of stuff that when we get through those challenges and when we do start fixing those things are gonna make 2026 that much better. And as I said, something the likes of which uh, our sport uh, and our world has never seen. All right, Mossy, uh, anything before we go? Nope. All right, use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there or Ask Mossy and send us your questions and your comments, concerns out there uh, about anything that has to do with soccer or not. And uh, we will pick through them as we, uh, as we often do. We really appreciate you spending the time with us each and every week. I hope that everybody is staying safe. I hope that everybody is staying sane and doing the things to protect ourselves and others. As we mentioned at the top of the show, we look to be emerging a little bit and opening up a little bit, but let's do it in a, in a safe uh, and organized type of way so that we can all enjoy it, so that we can all, as I said, be safe and healthy going forward to hopefully uh, get out of this, this dark time in our, uh, in our history, both as America uh, and as the world. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we will talk to you again uh, next week. And as always, size the deck. 